Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice that leaves us speechless. <laughs> the cup of the new covenant in his blood. Drink it, all of you, whenever you remember him. Mm. So I got up today. We've been doing inner city missions for 11 years every day, 24-7, 365, because we just live this thing. So waking up this morning, you know, the glory of God, just letting the Word of God pass through my mind like Daniel chapter 7, visions passing through his mind that left him speechless. I'm just seeing this whole Saul establishment system of Christianity, and I love, you know, the churches, I went through the Assemblies of God, and we've worked with hundreds of churches literally all over the world. But God was showing me the Saul establishment versus the wild freedom of David when I woke up this morning. And sure enough, it's Sunday morning. Sometimes I lose track of what day it is because I live so deeply in the glory of God, it's like eternity. And just all my days are set apart for prayer and ministering the wine of the new covenant and the word of God. So I'll go days on end and come back into the natural realm like I'm really not even sure what year it is right now. Sometimes we're that far gone in the glory of God. <laughs> but there's a lot of human beings here that Jesus Christ loves that you can't just live in wonderland like Alice. You know, Alice was sent back. There's a parable in it. I grew up with all those nursery stories. There's parables in them. They're full of meaning. They're full of wisdom, most of them. And you do have to be like Moses, set apart from a time of the Egyptian system. You know, he was a system of sorcery and a system of slavery with the Israelites. And he grew up in the house of sorcerers with the necromancers. And he had that murder in him, and he was just killing the slave masters. And God had to set him apart. So that's not how you do it, dealing with the religious system. You can't just kill him. You can't just be angry at it. You know, that doesn't help anyone, you know. So he sets him apart. I'm seeing all this stuff today of what the Lord's dealing with in America right now. and Pulls him out of Egypt way ahead of everyone else, you know. Decades of getting all of that Egyptian sorcery off of him. Showing him how to be a real shepherd of the sheep of Israel because you can't bring that Egyptian sorcery of religion and control and that python that comes out of Pharaoh's forehead just doesn't work in Israel. It doesn't work in the Old Covenant and it certainly doesn't work in the New Covenant. We can't use demons and devils to control people. We can't use religion to hurt people. You gotta learn how to love. And that's what Moses learned in the wilderness. He learned how to love. And he was so broken as a man. You know, left his people, you know, left his mom, left his everything, his wealth. I mean, he was a prince of Egypt. You've all seen the Disney cartoon, the Prince of Egypt. He left everything. He was a millionaire, probably a billionaire. <laughs> True story. And just out there in the wilderness, nothing had to start over. All he had was God. And that's what the Lord was teaching him. Truly, after you lose so much, so many times over and over again in this world of suffering, 
in this world of religion, what are all the lessons to be learned? All you need is God in this world. I've rebuilt dozens of times and I'm just 35 years old. I've been destroyed so many times in my life, in ministry, <laughs> before that in Bible college, before that in Teen Challenge, before that with my mom and dad, 18 years. I mean, just back and forth, child custody battles, court systems, prison for my dad two and a half years, when just all kinds of craziness in this world. And all these lessons in life, what is there to learn from them? All this suffering. <laughs> that all you need is God. It's true. I think at the end of the day, everything I've learned in life is, like Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing else here except obeying God. Obeying His Word. And not in a religious way, you know, in a loving way where it's like, God really is my Father. God is our Father, and it's not just a verse in the Bible. Through what I've suffered, through what you've suffered, you've experienced it. He's been fathering you this entire time. And it's mind-shattering. It's truly astonishing to see the sovereignty of our Heavenly Father through everything we've had to go through, especially as Americans, because we've had so much. We've had so much. I've watched it with my dad, you know, Vietnam veteran, Marine Corps squad leader, combat vet, and I watched him build up businesses and sell them all and start over, over and over again. He never did anything for more than five years because he'd get bored, he'd sell it all, take his millions and then just blow it on having fun, sailboats and whatever, Porsches and BMWs, and then he'd just get rid of that and start over just for fun, just like using the world as a playground of just building and selling, buying and selling, trading, just everything that's here. And I look at my dad and I look at other people's dads <laughs> and all these lessons of all these families and it's the same and it's so wonderful. Everything we've gone through as families who've had so much, we've had such a tremendous amount of wealth in our nation, We've burned through millions of dollars. I mean, every middle-class family. We burned through millions of dollars. I mean, it costs $250,000 to raise one kid nowadays. You know, 18 years or something. And to go to college, maybe even double that. <laughs> but it's like, all of this, the lessons of everything we've gone through, boils down to all you need is God. Everything in this world will fade away, but the Word of God remains forever. And that's what Moses learned through what he suffered. That's what I've learned through what I've suffered. And I'm hanging out with friends that I haven't seen for five, six years today that are just other tribes of Christianity <laughs> in the Twin Cities that it's like, I check up on them sometimes on Facebook, you know, we're like distant cousins. It's like the 12 tribes of Israel and all the different tribes of Christianity. And at one point we were in Teen Challenge together, at one point we were in Bible College together, and it's just like there's just so many tribes spread out of Christianity through America. I know I'm on some rabbit trails here, but it, it's all coming together now. 
It really is all coming together. And that's why I'm excited about the tribes. And I'm meeting with some other tribes today that I hadn't seen for years, and it's just like all of the brokenness of the last five to seven years of people I was in Teen Challenge with, people that I was in inner city missions with in Dinky Town when we started this ministry 11 years ago. I mean, some of these people I haven't even seen for eight, 10 years, and they're coming around this season of life. It makes no sense. We haven't done anything out of the ordinary, anything special. It's just God the Father fathering us sovereignly in Minneapolis and in Minnesota and all the USA, and it's literally a global phenomena because we've been reaching every nation under the sun for three months, hitting 30 million people in 150 plus nations the last three months, and it's everywhere. It's happening in Nepal, it's happening in the Philippines, it's happening in Central and Southern Africa, it's happening in Europe. <laughs> it's happening in South America, Central America, North America. What's happening right now is called the third day resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ said in the red letters, on the third day I'm going to raise them up. Many times he spoke about his own resurrection, but one instance in the Gospels, he spoke of their resurrection. And, you know, you see this language when he's talking to his friends with Lazarus, who Lazarus is four days dead, and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the woman's like, I know this will happen at the resurrection. Like, in a few thousand years, Lazarus will be raised from the dead. She believed in the resurrection, the third day resurrection, the seventh day from Adam and the third day from Messiah. And Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> Which means you don't have to wait to the seventh day from Adam. You don't have to wait to the third day from Jesus Christ for a day is as a thousand years, it is written. Numerous times, a day is as a thousand years. Do you know what day you're in? You're in the third day since the Messiah. You're in the seventh day since Adam for a day is as a thousand years. Even natural history records that, you know, with your A.D. and B.C. <laughs> We're in 2017. If it starts at zero, 2017 would be the third day, the third millennia, 17 years into it. Now, I don't know if the Gregorian calendar is accurate. I don't know if the Jewish calendar is 100% accurate. All I know is I can easily count through church history, studying it out in Bible college for five years that it's been at least 2,000 years since the Messiah. We're right around the third day. We're right around the time of the great awakening of the end times, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the resurrection of all mankind in His sacrifice. And every nation will feast on it. And that's why all these lost tribes and all these people that I've known over the years are all assembling because they've been feasting on the same sacrifice as we have this whole time. Just in their own caves, you know, you got Elijah's cave over there, Samson's cave over there, David's cave over there. Some people are in paradise, some people are walking on water, some people are just in their houses like caves. And all these people have a testimony, and all these people have a relationship with God. They're like hundreds of millions of them worldwide. Hundreds of millions. How many born again? In the assemblies of God alone, we boasted of having 10 million tongue-speaking Christians in Central and South America, just in one denomination. 
the AG that I come out of through North Central and Teen Challenge. There's a lot more than 10 million. In America alone, they say there's 100 million evangelical Christians. One out of three U.S. citizens is an evangelical right now in 2017. So why don't we have heaven on earth? Why isn't it Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, pray this prayer on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because I think we've been a little religious. And I know I've been a little rebellious. And let he who is without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> we might need the blood of Jesus, guys. We might need the cup of the new covenant. We might need to drink it when we remember him. <laughs> and I think drinking the cup of the new covenant, the cup of salvation, the cup of joy, behold this cup, what does he call it? The covenant is in his blood. Now this isn't vampirism, this isn't occult drinking human blood like, you know, occult members do. This is spiritual blood. This is the Holy Spirit cup of the new covenant. In Acts chapter 2, when they received laughing tongues of fire and were so drunk on the anointing that they had to explain they weren't drunk on alcohol, Peter stood up and said, this is what was prophesied in Joel. I will pour out my spirit in all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Old men dream dreams, young men see visions. Everyone will receive God's Spirit. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles now also, one new man of every nation, tribe, and tongue, assembling around the throne of Jesus Christ in heavenly Jerusalem. Because the Holy Spirit's been here the same 2,000 years. I just think we kind of hardened our hearts a little bit and got into self-efforts, got into dead work, strange fire. We got a little religious. I've been doing this a long time with hundreds of thousands of people. It's the same thing everywhere. It's called religion. The tree of the knowledge of good. Not evil. We all know rebellion's bad. You know, banging heroin in your arm is evil. It's pharmakia, it's sorcery, it's witchcraft. But what we don't realize is the knowledge of good, the religiosity in the human brain, practicing carnal Christianity is equally evil in the eyes of God to the overt rebellion of Luke 15 where there are two prodigal sons. Two, not one. We always want to point out the rebellious one, but the religious one seemed to be more evil when I read that story. He did everything right, obeyed the New Testament, didn't stray from the Father, was working in the fields that the Father owned. This represents all of the religious people in the world who are self-righteous. I call it Christian narcissism. These people have not been crucified with Christ. They're still slaves to religion. It's like Egypt. They're out there building bricks and they think they're doing it for God, but the whole time they're doing it for Pharaoh, Satan. We need an exodus. We need a Red Sea. And you can drink the Red Sea. It represents the blood of Jesus Christ. I know this great awakening in America will be a great awakening of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's an eternal table of the Lord, of the bread, His flesh, His word, and the wine, His blood, the Holy Spirit. Is there any way to abuse the table of the Lord? Is there a law against spiritual feasting? Or it's like, not too much bread, not too much wine. 
You'll be a drunkard and a glutton like they accused Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't think so. Against spiritual feasting, there is no law. As it's written in Song of Solomon 5.1, Eat, mates, drink, and be drunk, brothers and sisters. On what? Be drunk? Not on alcohol. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, like the Apostle Paul says. Do not be drunk on wine. Zero alcohol. We're 100% straight edge. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> we call it the drunken glory, but it's Pentecostal laughing tongues of fire, as demonstrated in Acts chapter 2. How much Holy Spirit do you want surging through the cup of your body? Psalms 23 says, My cup overflows, and in the Septuagint, His cup was supremely intoxicating. The blood of Jesus is the house of wine. Song of Solomon 2.4 He brought me into the house of wine. Solomon called the kingdom of heaven the house of wine. The house of the Lord's sacrifice. Now, I don't know if Solomon knew about Jesus. You know, it's like a thousand years before he died on the cross. But we know about Jesus. And I understand the blood of Jesus is the new wine. Is this new wine for new wineskins? Do we drink the blood of Jesus, which is manifest in the Holy Spirit by faith? 100% every day we keep the feast of true Christianity. Every day, keeping the feast. Christianity is about feasting on His flesh and feasting on His blood every day as disciples of the kingdom of heaven. I know from personal experience, when I've put the cup of the new covenant down, and haven't required out of necessity for my salvation, the Holy Spirit, I've always strayed into religion or always strayed into rebellion. And 100% of the time, the Holy Spirit has led me back to drinking the cup of the new covenant by faith. Now, we do some crazy stuff because we're prophetic. We're a prophetic tribe in the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. I'll be like this, you know, Behold the chalice which inebriateth me. How goodly is it? And drink it just to help people try to understand how celebrational the new covenant is. It's a feast. It's celebrational. It's the happiest jubilee every day that Jesus Christ, our Savior, overcame and conquered death, and we've been crucified in His sacrifice. We've been buried in His tomb, not as sinners, but in the Holy One, in His body. And we've been raised from the dead, and it's pain-free. This is the celebration of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and all of us feasting on it worldwide. I'm telling you, that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it may only be breakfast time since it's 2017 in the day of the Lord, but you're in the third day. And it's time to learn how to eat and drink His flesh and His blood, His bread and His wine, because that is the priesthood of Melchizedek, the priesthood of heavenly Jerusalem, Mount Zion, city of innumerable angels, where all your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're not working in shadows. We're not working in types. We're not working in Old Covenant Leviticus priesthood. We're working in New Covenant priesthood of Melchizedek, of the realities of Jesus Christ, that through His flesh we've entered the kingdom of heaven like little children. And it's not for our brains. It's not for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not for the flesh. Christianity has nothing to do with the flesh. Christianity is a spiritual cup for our born-again spirits. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If you're born again, all things are made new. 
You're a new creature, new creature altogether. Everything made new. And I'm messing that up big time, but you can read it for yourself. Second Corinthians 5.17. I'm telling you, as I'm ministering the wine right now, I'm drinking too. I'm getting drunk on the Holy Spirit. It's real. Second <laughs> Corinthians 5.17. Should I look it up? I got my Bible right here. That'd probably be a good, healthy thing to do. My mom gave me this Bible October 15th, 1999. It's my first Bible after I got saved. The NIV Study Bible. <laughs> first Corinthians. Shaka. What did I say? First Corinthians. Second Corinthians 517. Shaba. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. <laughs> What's a new creation? The old is gone. What's the old? The human nature. What's the new? You're born again, spirit being. If anyone's in Christ, they're one spirit with the Lord. What does drinking the cup of His blood do? It energizes our spirit nature, our new creation in Christ's nature to grow spiritually. In 1 John it says, You've been born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God that cannot sin. The only sin nature we've ever had, Christians, is in our carnal minds, in our brains. That's why you're commanded in Romans chapter 2 to be circumcised of heart and circumcised of mind. Once you're circumcised in your mind, you just manifest the river of life of John 7:38. Out of your heart proceeds rivers of living waters continuously. But you, if you read John 7:38, what is the key word there? For those who believe, religion always makes us doubt and not believe because it requires our own efforts. And this is the main blockage of every Christian in the whole world that we deal with, is growing in faith and believing in His sacrifice and living in the astonishment of God, the awe of God. Some people call it the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. And when you're in the astonishment of His sacrifice, your spirit is always drinking from Him and never apart from Him. When we get into religion, it sears our conscience because we practice dead works, it is written in Hebrews chapter 9. But the blood has been shed for the purging of our conscience from dead works. So we get washed in the blood of Jesus right through our minds, as it's written in Revelation, so that Jesus Christ can be written on our foreheads. Now obviously, no one's going to tattoo on their forehead. What that means is, they're going to have a renewed mind. They're going to have the mind of Christ. They're going to be spiritually minded so that God the Father can pour through their soul all of His thoughts and ways and ideas so we can be the leadership of this world because Christians are the covenant people who should be the leaders of every aspect of society. But what's been robbing us from being the leaders of the whole world, the anointed covenant people of God, is religion. And because of religion, it's like we have this desire in us for pleasure and the Garden of Eden is cut off because we can't see it because we don't believe and then we go into alcohol and we go into drug abuse and I mean, 
we deal with so many heroin addicts, white people from the suburbs that are under 40, it's an epidemic. And it's always the same. Religion is their cap and why they turn to drugs and alcohol for satisfaction. Once the religion is under your feet, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, believed upon in your heart by grace through faith, you're saved, then your whole being gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Your whole being gets filled with His flesh and blood and you've overcome the world. <laughs> and then you get excited. And then you live in the awe of God. And then every day is a thrilling adventure of following the Holy Spirit from start to finish. As it's written in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you go from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's what I pray for every single one of you. That you'd believe in His sacrifice, feast on His sacrifice, and live in the fullness of God's plans for your life, filled with the Holy Spirit of God as a free gift of salvation. And let your cups overflow, and let the table of the Lord become your reality from start to finish every day. And may you go from glory to glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you want to check out our website, everything's free, schools, music, redlettermen.com. Be blessed. We'll see you tomorrow. Amen.